Welcome to the podcast from In Church, Phoenix. This message is, The Joy Set Before Us, with Pastor Craig Mayer. December 4th, 2016. I've had the great privilege over the last uh, few years of being to many of the sites where we're doing uh, our, our missions work. I was with Destiny Rescue only in June. And seeing young, young girls, and they're girls, they're my daughter's age, they're your daughter's age, and younger, uh, my goodness, totally transformed. You know, when a girl is rescued, you can sometimes think, what does that mean? What that means is an absolute minimum of a three-year commitment into her life. I don't know whether you realise that. She's not just rescued off the street, rescued out of sexual slavery for a few nights or a few weeks or a few months, it is years, it is years that we spend uh, rehabilitating her, uh, educating her, giving her job skills that uh, will mean that there's an alternative to being objectified. And that is, that is, that is so good. You know, I, it wasn't too long ago, I was in the northeast of India with our brother Kitbok there. And my goodness, he's a modern-day Apostle Paul. He's literally reaching unreached people groups that have never, ever heard the name of Jesus before. And my missions dollar and your missions dollar, oh, my goodness, my goodness, we are funding people who've never, ever heard the name of Jesus being able to hear Jesus' name for the first time. And it's like, that's, that's powerful. And I know, you know, most of us, unlike me, most of us will never get to see those places. But what we try to do on Mission Sunday is show you as, be, as best we can, communicate as best we can, hey, this is the difference that we are making. We are making. And it is, and it is awesome. Amen? I want you, okay, that's good. I want you for a moment to focus, and that word's going to be key, Focus your attention on the screen as the team put up a video that I've asked them to show. Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals 
the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. Praise his name. Come on. You know, what you focus on is powerful. What you focus on is powerful. I love that because it causes me to focus on the truth of who Jesus is. And you know, I don't know about you, but I know in my own life, sometimes I'm easily distracted. I'm easily distracted from the main things that matter. I'm easily distracted from the hope that Christ gives. I'm easily distracted from his word. I'm, e- I'm easily distracted from what he wants to do in my life. I get consumed by circumstance and situation. I get consumed by the problems, the personalities, the difficulties that would come up in life. And it's so easy for me to shift my focus away from the Lord and onto my circumstance and my situation. And, you know, there is this constant battle for us. You know, we've been preaching all year, as I know you have, this key verse. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come, said Jesus, that you might have life, life in all fullness, life abundant. But, you know, sometimes when we think of the thief and that he still kills and destroys, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, sometimes we can think of a big red devil, you know, with horns and a tail and, you know. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's more subtle than that. He's more subtle than that. You know, he'll often whisper in your ear, you know, condemnation. He'll whisper in your ear that things are starker and bigger than than they are. If he can lead you into worry rather than to worship, he's winning. And and this is not God's plan for you. His plan for you is that you would be focused on him. Proverbs 4, 23 to 27 says, says this, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away your crooked speech and your devious and, and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look f- directly forward 
and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Think about where you're walking in life. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the left nor to the right. Turn your foot away from evil. The encouragement of Solomon, these words written thousands of years ago is, look, check out your heart, but understand where your heart is, what's going on in the inside of you is going to be directed by your focus. Where, what you're looking at, what, what, what's got your attention, where your attention is, your heart will be. So if my attention is all on my bills, my heart's going to be on my bills. You know, if my attention is on the stuff that's going on in my family that's not good, well, my heart is going to be there. If my attention is on my grief and my sorrow, my heart is going to be there. If my attention is on the blessings of God and the goodness of God, guess what? My heart is going to be there. And the, the, Solomon is saying, like, keep your heart with all vigilance. Some translations say diligence. It's sort of like continually check out what's going on in the inside. Because so, too often we just allow life to happen. And you know, it's just like, oh, well, this is the way it is. This is just the way it, it, it's always going to be. And it's like, my goodness, Jesus is calling you and he's calling me to an abundant life. He's calling us to a life where he reigns as king. That's my king. He reigns as king. And I grow in my reliance on him. I grow in my dependency on him. I grow in my love for him. I grow in my trust in him. You know, it was really interesting yesterday when we were with Pastor Ralph. You know, uh, he had literally, he's been visiting that prison that he's now a prisoner in since 1997. And he had actually built the chapel. He'd built the chapel. He had funded, raised, laid, literally, he and a team of guys laid the foundation of that chapel. He built the walls. He laid the tiles. He built the chapel that we're, that we're worshipping in yesterday. And he said to me, you know what? You know what? I, we purposely built the chapel here because right next door there is a wall shared by those in solitary confinement. And my heart and my desire was that they would hear worship and they would hear the word of God and that they would be changed. You know, too many of us, as it were, we're free. We're not in prison today. I've been released. I got the mark of release. But I can be in solitary confinement. I can be in a situation where my problems, my circumstance, my situation overwhelms me and I get myself into a circumstance where I think, Nobody understands. Nobody cares. Yes, I've got this mental ascent in my head that God is true and he's real and he's awesome and he'll come through me for me. But because my of my focus and because where my focus is, my heart is, my emotion, my emotion is telling me something else. My will is telling me something else. I know in my head, that what God says is true, but in my heart there's something different. And friend, if you're, not, if you're not careful, if you're not careful, what you focus on can imprison you. And it can imprison me. What we focus on, what we focus on either 
produces a blessing or it produces a curse in my life. Amen? You know, distraction is the nemesis of focus. You know, I like uh, in the story in the gospel of the prodigal son. You know, this is this young guy who says to dad, I want my inheritance now. Thank you. In fact, he's saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. I want the inheritance. And so he grabs the inheritance and he goes and he spends it all, blows it all. And he's now poor and destitute. He's feeding pigs, which Jewish boys didn't do, blah, blah, blah. But there comes this point where the story says, and he came to his senses. And you know, you and I always need to come to a point where we come to our senses. Because I don't know when I'm distracted. And I'd put to you, you don't know either. You know, just suddenly distraction. You know, I, I uh, arrived here Tuesday a week ago. Uh, didn't hardly sleep a wink. Uh, the, the trip was much longer than it was supposed to be because we had some mechanical problems with the plane. Thankfully, on the ground, not in the air. And, uh, and, and so I arrived here in Phoenix and straight away I had to drive to Yuma. Now, I drive on the other side of the road to you guys. Uh, you didn't know, but on Tuesday, two, like week before last, you all, if you drive, you took your life into your hands because I was on the road with you, right? And, uh, and, and so I'm, uh, I, I, straight away, as I got off the plane, I had to go straight to Yuma because I was actually going to... I've visited Ralph twice since I've been here. We, we really had this burden to, to do that. And... Uh, and so I'm, I've not slept in 20-odd hours, and I'm driving to Yuma. And I'm getting distracted. I'm looking at cactus, and I'm looking at rolling hills, and I'm looking at desert, and I'm, this is so different to what I'm used to. And all of a sudden, I found myself on my side of the road, not your side of the road. Right? I'm just now. That, would have, that really would have gone cactus if I'd hit a hit a semi or something, like, it's like, man, uh, but I didn't know, I didn't know, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking around me, I'm looking at circumstance, I'm looking at situation, it's good, and all of a sudden I realise, hang on, I'm on the wrong side of the road, you know, that's a really good thing when you realise you're on the wrong side of the road, it's a really good thing when you recognise that, and when you recognise that in life, when you focus on that in life, and you go, you know, I'm going to I'm going to change. I'm I'm going to change. I'm going to change my focus. You know, I get challenged by this sometimes, but I say this phrase a lot in my own church. You can be as close to Jesus as you want to be. He he he's closer. He's closer than a heartbeat to you. He is closer. You know, he 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 is with you and he doesn't leave you or forsake you. But when I'm focused on other stuff, my heart focuses on other stuff. Therefore, my soul focuses on other stuff. And you know, you can you can be as close to Jesus as you want to be. As you shift focus and go, you know what? That's my king. That's my king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. I'm gonna I'm gonna choose. I'm gonna choose today to follow him. I'm gonna choose to follow him. Now, I want to for a moment. Think about, all right, I'm, I'm talking about our focus. But I, I want us this morning to think about Jesus' focus. See, I don't know whether you realize Jesus looks. 
Jesus sees. Jesus observes. The things that, what, what, what is Jesus focused on? You know, sometimes we can get into our head, he's, he's focused on my sin. Uh, he's focused on, you know, I, I did drive on the wrong side of the road. You know, naughty me. You know, it's like, well, I, I did do that wrong thing. I did say that wrong thing. I did feel this. What is Jesus? What is Jesus focused on, really? What, what would the scripture say to us that Jesus is focused on? I'm going to skip a couple of those verses, guys, who are following me. The writer to the Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, he's just been speaking about great faith. In fact, Dan even mentioned Hebrews 1, uh, Hebrews 12, uh, 11 verse 1 this morning. You know, faith is the substance of things unseen. Uh, it's like, wow. You know, he, he's, he's then spoken about great men and women of faith. And there's this sort of hallmark of faith, right? And then we get to chapter 12. And he starts speaking about Jesus. He's been saying, look at these faithful people. And basically saying, look at these faithful people and follow their example. Craig Ma paraphrased, condensed version of, of Hebrew, Hebrews 11. But then when we get to Hebrews 12, he's saying, hey, focus on Jesus. And focus on the things that Jesus is focused upon. So in verse 3, it says, consider him. Consider him who endured from such sinners, such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. It's saying, look, consider him. Look at him. So that you're not going to grow weary. He endured opposition. He endured life going south. He, he endured stuff going wrong. Consider him. Look to him. And don't grow weary and don't, go, don't grow faint-hearted. Don't faint. Don't go, oh, this is too hard. You know? Don't, don't do that. But of course, he's just said in verse 1 this thing. Therefore, because of all these great saints and their example of faith, therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin so easily that entangles. Like It's like, well, let me come back to my senses. That's the way I take it. It's like, throw it off. I come back to my senses. I make that choice. And then he says this, and we get the answer to the question, what is Jesus focused on? Because it then says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And here it is. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy that was set before him. That's an oxymoron. Hang on. He endured the cross. It's like, hang on a minute. Here's the cross. You got a little glimpse. I wanted you to see a little glimpse. I hope at one point when you saw that video, you were a little uncomfortable when you see that disfigured figure hanging on the cross. Well, think of that for a moment. Here's this disfigurement of Jesus on the cross and the Bible is saying, for the joy that was set before him, 
He endured the cross, scorning its shame. Hang on, wouldn't, wouldn't we say that Jesus was focused on his pain? Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't it be reasonable for us to think that Jesus was focused on the beating and the whipping and the torturing and the words and the accusations that the spitting upon him? Wouldn't, wouldn't we think that that's what Jesus was focused on? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be reasonable to think that, that as Jesus endured the horror, the shame, the humiliation of the cross, that he was, he was focused on himself and, and what he was going through? If it was me, I, I, you know, I, I, can just, I can just get a finger, you know, splinter under my fingernail. It's like I'm going, oh, look at me, you know, help me, look at this, look at me. Like, I, I, you know, I, I do that. That's, that's not unreasonable. But the Bible here is saying, for the joy, for the joy. What was that joy? What was that joy that was set before him? What was it that enabled Jesus to endure the pain and the profound abuse of the cross with joy? How is it that Jesus, even on the cross, could forgive those who just crucified him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they've done. We get a glimpse of the answer when the thieves are standing there and one shouts abuse and the other shouts back at the other thief and says, no, 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 you're getting what you deserve. We're getting what we deserve. And in verse 42 of Luke 3, it says, and then he said, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him and said, I truly tell you today, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't, of course, say it like the way I'm saying it. Because here's Jesus, pinned great big nails through his wrist bones. Not through his hands, through his wrists. Because hands wouldn't have held him. There he is. And doctors would tell us that for, for crucifixion, what, what usually caused people to die in crucifixion was suffocation. It wasn't actually the nails going through. And so for Jesus even to be able to draw breath, he's hanging on the cross. He's hanging on the cross, nails through his wrists. The pain of that, the weight of, like, I can't imagine it. And then we're told that, that the way they pinned your feet, nailed your feet, was they crossed your feet in front of one of the other and they put the nail through, through the ankle joint of both feet. So, so you've got the weight, he's got the weight of his body on his feet and then he's got the weight of his body on his hands. So how does Jesus speak on the cross? The way he speaks on the cross is he's got to muster up the energy with all of his strength to straighten, push down on his broken ankles. The pain of that. Get enough air into his lungs to say something and then he falls down again. And as he falls down again, then the pain is on his hands. And we're, we're told that, you know, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, he, he's hanging there up and down and up and down, up. And down. So hear the scripture again in a different light. For the joy that was set before him, 
He endured the cross, scorning its shame. The joy. What is the joy? What was the joy that was before Jesus? Perhaps I could phrase my question better. Who? Who was the joy? Who was the joy set before Jesus? Who did Jesus see? Who did Jesus see as he pulled up and he went down? And as he pulled up and as he endured agony and pain, as he did that, who did he see? Well, he saw young girls in sexual slavery in Laos and Thailand, where we have our Destiny Rescue homes that we together have purchased. He saw people in the back blocks of Cambodia, where I was just in June, every day having to eat field mice and crickets and worms and slugs to try and live in every day to try and survive, subsistence living, trying to live. And here we are given a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. Here he, he, he Jesus is seeing people in Bukavu, in the war-ravaged part of, that, of the Congo, coming to our hospital and being healed in Jesus' name, receiving the care that they need. Here... Jesus saw, Jesus saw blind children in Indonesia. And, and that was the joy. The joy was that a group of his, his children would come together and go, you know what, we're going to live to make a difference. So he sees that. But the other joy that was before Jesus was you. You are the joy that was set before him. That meant Jesus could endure the cross and scorn its shame. You are precious. You matter to God. You're, it's not just Matthew Dawkins that is indelibly marked with the blood of Jesus. You've been marked. As it were, there's a stamp of freedom on you. And there's a stamp of freedom on me. It's called forgiveness. It's called forgiveness. And this is something that I can't do for myself. Jesus can only do that work that God ordained, that sin had to be dealt with. The stuff we do wrong had to be dealt with. Jesus, the the Word of God says that he who knew no sin became sin. So that what? So that we might become the righteousness of God. That we might receive the righteousness of God. But we would become righteous. Jesus saw you and me stepping from darkness into light. He saw us stepping away from distraction. Stepping away from a focus that too often focuses on me and my circumstance and my situation. And he saw with delight and joy in his life. He saw you getting a broad vision 
a broad vision for the way he sees people, the way he sees this planet, the way he sees your street, the way he sees this community, the way he sees the nations of the world. Jesus was delighted. There was a joy that was in him. There was a joy that was in him that meant that you would step from darkness into light and you would keep on stepping into the light, that you would keep your focus on him. That was the joy. Every time you make a decision that honors God, every time you make a decision that praises his name, every time you align your life with the word of God, it's like he says to dad, Father God, see see dad, it was worth it. It was worth it. I'm full of joy today because it was worth it. She's changing. He's changing. Together they're bringing the change that I so desperately desire to bring to my earth. There's a joy that is set before Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I know in my life I want to make him glad. I want to bring him joy. I I want his focus to be I want his focus to be on the things that would bring him joy. And I can live my life in a way that brings God joy. Think about it. He who put the heavens in their place, who by his word said, let there be light, and the universe is spoken into existence, that God who creates the heavens and the earth, who who every day, like the the, the Bible says, the heavens declare the glory of God. It's like last night, Scotty and I, we got home nearly midnight, driving through the desert, and I'm looking, I was conscious, I'm looking at stars, I know you see them all the time, but for me, it was like, mate, I'm seeing, I'm seeing stars I don't ever see, because I'm, I'm down under, I see the Southern Cross, you don't see that, but you know, but, I, but I'm, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm, see, I'm, I'm looking, it's like, man, that God who created all that amazing, fantastic stuff, I can please. You can please. We can bring joy, joy to God's heart. You know, I uh, I got to confess, I'm not a Greek theologian. I, I like Greek to me. When I was in Bible school, when I was in theological college, I was into Hebrew, but Greek was all Greek to me. I just like, mate, it's just like, you know, thank God for professors and concordances and, you know, the strongs and, you know, you can look up and all that sort of stuff. So I don't want to pretend to be something that I'm not. But I was looking up in, in Hebrews 12 verse 2, this word joy, for the joy that was set before him. And my goodness, that the Greek word, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but the Greek word means chara. That's, that's chara. That's, the, that's the, how it would be pronounced in Greek, the Australian version of it anyway. But joy, joy means delight, delight. But it also means, get this, the desire of a hungry man. The desire of a hungry man. You know, uh, yesterday, uh, Scotty and I were heading to Phoenix about nine o'clock. We hadn't eaten. Uh, so we go buy Starbucks and uh, he gets a little muffin thing and I get a little muffin thing and we didn't eat. We didn't eat the rest of the day. 
by the time we got out of the jail, we're, you know, it's like eight o'clock or, you know, whatever it is. Pastor Tom Renard says, do you want to have dinner? And, uh, man, we go, yeah, Texas Roadhouse, here we go. All right? So I see my good friend here. I see my good here. He says, what's the biggest, thickest steak? I'm here in desire. There's a desire. There's a desire of a hungry man. There's a desire. And, mate, I'm sitting across the table, and I saw joy. There was a joy came. Mate, when that steak came, I haven't seen a steak that big. When that steak came, you know, this, you know, it's this thick. You know, that one. No, it wasn't that big. Right? But it's like, man. Now, I've, I'm sort of like into my second bite of my little chicken, you know, thing. And that steak's gone. Baby, it's, it's over. It's over. You know, you don't want to get in front of a fridge. But you don't want to get between a fridge and a hungry man. You don't want, you, that's not the place you want to be. A hungry man will push everything aside to get to, to, get to that food. For the joy, for the joy that was set before him. Jesus is a hungry man. He's God and he's man. He is a hungry man. He hungers. He thirsts for you and I to live for him. To live for him. His hunger overcame the humiliation of the cross. His thirst triumphed over its scorn and its shame. Jesus hungers and thirsts for you. He hungers and thirsts for me because he knows no eye has seen, nor ear heard, no human mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Hear the way Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 3 is said in the paraphrased version of the message. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no puristic sins. Fix your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race that we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now there is in the place of honour right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over the story again, item by item, line by line. That long litany of hostility he ploughed through. Oh, I like the last phrase. And that'll shoot adrenaline into your soul. There's some adrenaline that you get. There's some adrenaline that comes. Have you ever felt weak and felt tired? And then you had a good meal. And this time you didn't go into that food coma. You know, I'm expecting at lunch, I'm probably going to go into a food coma, right? right? But sometimes you eat food and it's like, whoo, come on, bring on life. That's, that's, that's the joy set before Jesus. That's what he desires to do in and through you and me. 
And so I ask you this question, because my time is nearly up, but what is the joy set before you today? What is the joy set before you? The joy set before him is a lost, dying, sighing, broken world. The joy that is set before him is you and me. That's the joy. What is the joy set before you? What is the joy set before you? The joy that is set before me as your brother today is my king. My king that has done everything. There's nothing that I can add to what he did for me at the cross. I still remember coming to faith. I did not grow in a Christian home. My mum was married four times. I, you know, all sorts of stuff I could tell you about my background and my past. But in the midst of everything, Jesus, Jesus revealed himself. Jesus, Jesus showed me he loved me. Jesus spoke into my life and said, you don't have to live this small, focused, self-centered life any longer. Your world does not have to be small, Craig. It can be as wide as you would allow my vision to cast. Look to me, son. Look, and I'll show you my wonders. I'll show you my glory. I'll show you my majesty. Just look to me. What is the joy set before you? You know, I live every day knowing, you know, I know that this is Mission Sunday, but, you know, I know every day that my work, my labor, something every day I'm living to give. And it gladdens my heart. It gladdens, I love Mission Sundays. It gladdens my heart to know that I've got a part. I've got a part to play in that. It gladdens my heart that I live in my community where I live, a place called Caroline Springs. Sounds American. And, and I, I'm called to be on mission. I'm, I can't contain this good news that I've received. I can't contain it. I've got to share it. What is the joy set before you today? I pray it's Jesus. I pray if you're a Christian today, that you've got a greater glimpse of who he is and that this word today would encourage you that you're the joy that is set before him. Not just you, not just you, but a broken world, a broken world and you is set before him, right? But if today you've come and really you're searching, you've, you, you, someone invited you today and you're trying to get your head around who is this Jesus. I remember as a, as a young boy going to my mom and said, you know, what happens when we die? And my mum said, you know, I don't know. I, I just think we die. And I remember feeling really dissatisfied. I, I remember in my, on my bed crying. I didn't know who I was talking to, but I was just t- crying, talking. And just saying, surely there's something more to life than this. Surely there's something more. Surely there's something more. Surely there's something more to life than this. And I had people invite me to church. 
I, I, I remember coming to church and sort of thinking they were all pretty weird and, you know, you know, doing stuff that I, I, I'd never done. And, and they kept talking about Jesus. And, I, and, and, and there was a long time. I didn't know Jesus. I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus. But one day, there was a pastor speaking like I'm speaking now. And he basically said this to all who would receive him, who would believe in him, believe in his name. He gives the right to become a child of God. Now, I've got to confess to you, I didn't know what that meant. But it sounded good. I got, you mean I've got a right? I've got a right. I can become God's child. I can be in relationship with God. And the pastor said to me, yep. What have I got to do? And the pastor said to me, well, you just need to pray. You just need, because God's a gentleman. He, he knocks. He knocks. He doesn't barge his way into our life. He knocks. And those who would open their life, he comes in. He has fellowship. He, he lives with them. So, Sounds to me that God's knocking on the door of your heart. Would you just take the simple act of opening the door? You don't have to have it all figured out. All you need to do is just have a tiny, incy-bincy little bit of faith that says, Jesus, well, I'm going to believe today that you're good. And I'm going to believe that, well, for the joy that was set before you, the reason that you went through that cross was for my sin and shame. And I thank you for it. And I'll trust my way to you. I'll trust my way to you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope it blessed and encouraged you. Join us live on Sunday or at our midweek Connect small group meetings in North Phoenix, Arizona.